All right, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. That's where we're going to get started this morning, but fair warning, we're not going to stay there. We're going to jump around quite a bit. Uh, We are in week three of this series on the Holy Spirit, and I'll do a bit of a recap just to kind of catch you all up. Those of you that were here, you need a refresher perhaps. Those of you that missed it, this will kind of get you to where we've been. Um, Eric started out week one, and then Lloyd was here last week, and, and honestly, if you've been tracking through this series, I hope that your eyes have kind of been opened. There's probably been some aha moments for all of us as we've kind of thought about the role of the Spirit throughout uh, our lives and in the Scripture. And let me just write down some key points that I've kind of taken in as I've interacted with these messages. The Holy Spirit is a person, not an it. You know, sometimes we kind of think of this Spirit as kind of like this, uh, oh, this impersonal power or this impersonal force. And that's not what Scripture teaches. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity, fully God. He indwells every follower of Jesus Christ. That means he lives in us. So you think about Jesus who came as God with us, Emmanuel, the Spirit in a sense is God in us. And then there's this remarkable idea that Jesus teaches his disciples in the Last Supper where he says, it's better for me. Remember this? I think Eric spoke about this in week one. It's better for me that you go, Jesus is saying, because the Spirit will come. So the idea is, and this is hard to wrap your minds around, but there is a sense that the Spirit in us is better than Jesus incarnate with us. And I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that because I'd love to give Jesus a hug. You know, I'd love to sit down with him, break bread with him, ask him questions. And yet the reality that the scripture teaches is there's a sense, very real sense, the Holy Spirit in me is better for me even than that uh, opportunity to to be with Jesus. Now, at some point on the new earth, we're going to have both, right? We'll be able to see Jesus face to face and the, the Spirit's presence will envelop us there. Uh, Another point that has been hit home both last week and the week before is that the Christian life's impossible without the Spirit. So any of you out there that are struggling to, quote, live the Christian life, you know, you are in good company. It's not only difficult, but it's impossible apart from the Spirit. And this makes sense because the Christian life is the life of Christ. He's the only one that could live it. And through the Spirit of Christ, he lives that life through us. And so our role is to depend. Our role is to say, I can't, so will you through me? And so this posture of dependence, this posture of prayer is all a critical part of what it means to live by the Spirit or to be filled with the Spirit. So this morning, I want to take a little bit of a different take on this. And I want to talk about what is the relationship between the Spirit and the Word of God. Couple of reasons I want to talk about this this morning. Uh, number one, we're a Bible church, right? Bible's our middle name, so to speak. We make a big deal of the Bible. Sometimes I fear we can almost have, uh, we would never believe this, but we can almost work out in a way that some people might think, oh yeah, that church believes in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible, right? We do not want to uh, really be idolaters, even biblical um, idolaters in that way. So I think we need to talk about the role of the Spirit with the Scripture and see how integrately they relate to each other. The second reason is this. There's some of you in the room that ever since we started this Holy Spirit series, you've been on one of two sides of the fence. Like some of you have been like, you know, it's about time we talk about the Spirit. Others of you have been like, man, can we just talk about the Bible? And what I want you to see this morning is 
They go together. You can't talk about the Spirit without talking about the breath of the Spirit, i.e. the words of God. You can't talk about the words of God without talking about the Spirit who was the author of the Bible and who speaks through the Bible today. So that's where I want to go this morning. Uh, the idea that the, the two, Spirit and Word, cannot and should not be disconnected from each other is sort of a, a theological interest of mine. I've been studying this for a number of years. In some ways, this sermon this morning has been stirring in me for about seven years, and I've never had the opportunity to preach it. So this morning, I'm going to preach it, and I'm going to warn you, uh, it's going to be a theologically rich message. And I say warning because there's about 40% of you in the room, statistically, that as soon as you hear the word theology, you're like, I'm going to check out. You know, you're going to pull your phone and check your Facebook. Now, there's the other percentage of you that are like, yes, we're going to get into some theology. You know, you're like putting on your work gloves. You're ready to go. I think this message is going to be for both. Okay, and, and here's what I mean. I'm going to just run through a list of some things. This message is for you this morning, if you could check any of these boxes. If you, you really are not sure what the work of the Spirit is in your life, all right, or maybe you don't know how the Spirit works in your life. This message will help you, I hope. If all the talk about the Holy Spirit has kind of made you a little uncomfortable, you're like, I hope they're not becoming like a, one of those kinds of spirit churches, you need this message this morning. If, on the other hand, you wish we'd never talk about the Spirit, if you're honest, and you just wish we'd focus on the Bible, this message is for you this morning as well. If you've ever thought, I know I need to be changed but I'm not sure how that's supposed to happen. My guess is that's about all of us. That's about all of us. We know we need to be changed, but we're not always sure how change happens. How does God actually change me? This message is for you this morning. Okay, that's the setup. So here's how we're going to do it. We're going to cover three points. So this is a little bit of an outline so you can kind of track along. We're going to talk about the work of the Spirit. We're going to talk about the how of the Spirit's work. So what is the Spirit's work? How does the Spirit work? And then what does it mean for us? So another way to, to think about this outline is the what of the Spirit's work, the how of the Spirit's work, and the so what of the Spirit's work. I, I think I did two fingers. It's actually three. Okay. All right, three. Number one, let's jump in. What is the Spirit's work? Now, I, I'm going to build some theological foundations here, okay? Think, think about like a, a wedding cake. You know, you got a bottom layer, and then you're going to add a layer, and then you're going to add a layer. Because in order to get to the top, which is where, really where, where we're going to apply the message this morning, we got to lay some foundation. So here's your first, you know, theological idea this morning. What is the work of the Spirit? What is the work of the Spirit? Now, we've been talking about this already for the last two weeks, but if you do a big flyover the entire scripture, we've been focusing mostly in the New Testament, but if you focus from Genesis to Revelation, all 66 books of the Bible, here's how I would summarize the work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's work is the work of God on earth. The Holy Spirit's work is the work of God on earth. Now, I know that sounds very simple. It's like, well, of course, if he's God, then his work is the work of God, all right? But I want to dig into this a little bit more. What we see from Genesis to Revelation is that the Holy Spirit is the particular member of the Godhead, and there are three, who I, I would say activates and actualizes the work of God on earth. So let me give you an analogy. This analogy is, is a little clumsy, as all analogies are when we're talking about God, but think of a construction foreman 
who, you know, sits on the design team, sits on the architectural team, but his particular role is then to take the, the purposes and intentions and plans and go make them reality, build the building. It's like, make it happen. So think of the Holy Spirit as the person of the Trinity that actualizes the work of God. And I'm going to give you a bunch of examples of this. And I don't want to make it too simplistic, but I think this is a way that you can think about it that may help that. Now, for anything God does, the Holy Spirit's at the center. Anything God is doing, the Holy Spirit's right in the middle of it because he is, that, that's his role. So let me just give you a, a few examples. In fact, I want to read to you some places in Scripture where it gives a direct, uh, specific role to the Holy Spirit. And I want you to read, hear this list and, and listen to how comprehensive it is. All these actions are attributed to the Spirit. He gives life. He guides and directs. He gives power for service. He purifies. He strengthens. He leads. He gives hope. He reveals. He gives courage. He regenerates. He delivers from sin. He gives gifts. He enables us to walk by faith. He gives understanding. He unifies. He gives power to proclaim the message. He produces righteous character. He changes us to Christ-likeness. I could go on and on and on and on. Everything God does, the Holy Spirit is involved. He's in the middle of it. Maybe a better question is, is there anything that God does that the Holy Spirit's not a part of, right? Maybe the question is not, what does the Holy Spirit do, but what doesn't the Holy Spirit do from God's perspective? Now, this next point is important. All that work in the world that the Holy Spirit's doing, you know, all that construction, you know, implementing God's purposes, implementing God's sovereign plans all throughout creation, all that work is not just out there in the world, much of it is inside us. This is where we're going to get to Philippians 1. So let me, let's look at Philippians 1.6 for a minute. All right, we'll put that on the screen as well. I want, I want you to see a couple of verses here in Philippians. For I am confident of this very thing, Paul writes, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, it doesn't, specifically say the spirit who began a good work it just says he but who is it that lives in you pop quiz from your last two weeks which member of the, of the godhead lives in you holy spirit so it's the spirit that is in you he's the one that has begun the work at your salvation and now paul is saying he's continuing the work so that construction foreman is doing work in you what is the work that he's doing we're going to get to that uh, toward the end of the message, but just hold that thought for now. Flip over one page, and I want to show you another verse in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. And, um, I kind of want to read verse 12 too, even though it's not going to be on the screen because I, I failed to, to email that in. But look at verse 12 as well. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That, that's a puzzling verse, right? But you can't disconnect it from verse 13 because this is where it, where it lands. Look at verse 13 now. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, he's still talking about the Spirit, obviously. He's in you, but now he's saying God. Now, this gets a little confusing to us. In fact, I've had multiple conversations with my daughters, and you know, when they hear God, they, they think instantly of the Father. 
So when, you know, we tend, almost like we would say God, Father, and Spirit. That, that's not technically accurate. God is the three, Father, Son, and Spirit, make up God, make up the Godhead. So Paul here is referring to God, he's referencing the Spirit. So again, it's the Spirit who is in you at work. And this idea of working out your salvation doesn't mean working for your salvation, there is some kind of partnership. There's some kind of alongside. We talked about in week one that, that paraclete, that helper, that advocate that is empowering us as we're growing in our sanctification. So again, the big idea here from Philippians that the Spirit's work is to do the work of God, not just out there in the world in some you know, intangible concept way out there, you know, in maybe Uganda. The, the Spirit's work is in the world and in you. And he's up to something. Now, how is he working? That's the next question. So that's the what of the Spirit's work. All right, he's, he's accomplishing God's purposes in the world and in you. That's the what of the Spirit's work. Now let's talk about the how. Let's talk about the how. And by the way, we are going to come back to, you know, what is he doing in you? What, what's the end goal of that construction work? Okay, how does he do it? By what means is the Spirit at work? Right? That's, have you ever thought about that? Like, how does the Spirit actually work? Now, this is a very interesting question. This is the second layer of our theological cake. And this is a terrible analogy. I won't use this the second service. There's got to be some, some better layer analogy. But anyway, we're, we're, we're in cake world for this morning. Okay, uh, throughout Scripture, God works in a lot of different ways to accomplish things. Okay, let me, think, let me give you some examples. He uses people. Now, obviously, all throughout the Bible, you see examples of that. He uses circumstances, okay, that he crafts, that he creates sovereignly, right? And you remember, all things work together for good to him who loves God and is called according to his purpose, all right? He uses miracles. That's not the norm, always, even in Scripture. That's the exception, often. You know, it's not the norm, but we see him using miracles. He uses nature, he uses nations. Do you realize what that means? That means he uses, at times, the political system of a particular nation to accomplish his will. There's evidence of that all throughout Scripture. We could go on and on and on and on. Uh, but there's one way that God seems to work, um, I don't want to say more frequently, but as frequently, at least, as any other way, and, and, and maybe it is more, and that is God works through words. He uses his words to get things done. Now, this is a, a strange thought for us because we don't think of words doing work. The way that we tend to think of words is we think of words as just passing information and then you take the information and then you put the information to work. That's actually a, a limited and, and I would say an incomplete understanding of words. Uh, we'll talk about this more as we go on, but I want to just really give you this big idea that all throughout Scripture we see God working with his words. That's all he uses, just words, and something gets done. The most obvious and dramatic example is Genesis chapter 1. So let's just go there. Um, I want you to see it. So turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. And I know to some of you, not all, this is a familiar passage, but I want us all to look at it this morning. We're going to see God working. And how is he working? With words. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that, that's the summary verse. And then verse 2 and, and on are going to explain how he did the work. You follow this? 
Verse 2, the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And guess who was there? The Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. Okay, it's the Spirit at work, doing the work of God. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Isn't that interesting? You ever thought about this? God doesn't say, let there be light, and then he goes and makes the light. He just says, let there be light. And it was, it was like the act of God speaking and the act of God doing are one and the same thing. God says, and it was so. And that's the pattern we start to see. Look, look down. Just, we won't put it on the screen, but, but scoot your eyes down to verse 6. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Look at verse 9. Then God said, let the waters below and the heavens be gathered into one place. Look at verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse, etc. Every time you have this concept, God said and it was so. God said and it was so. God said and it was so. And it's not just in creation. You see a similar pattern throughout Scripture. It's just not as dramatic and, and not as obvious. Let me give you some other examples of God saying and it became. Of God speaking and work was done. Uh, think about how God created a nation. Israel was created by him calling Abraham out of Ur. Like, that's all God did. He just spoke. He said, Abraham, Abram at the time, go. And so Abram went and God created a nation. God created his unique relationship with that nation. I would call it a unique, unbreakable relationship through words. The words of a covenant. Right, so God made a covenant. A covenant is, is, is a speech act. A covenant is a promise that obligated God to these people and obligated these people to God. They went into a covenant together. That's the power of words, guys, making a covenant with one another. Um, closest thing we have in our vernacular today is the marriage covenant. You're actually doing a work when you say the words. Hope you are following along with this. Um, God used his words with that nation to do work with them throughout thousands of years. Give you some examples. He blessed them tangibly by speaking words, by making promises to them through prophets. He judged them by speaking words through prophets. He disciplined them that way. He guided them. He directed them through words. Again, usually speaking through human prophets who would speak for God. And it was the words of the prophets that guided the nation. God is doing work through his words. Isn't this interesting? Uh, the gospel, well, I'm skipping one, a very important one. Think about Jesus. Before we get to the gospel, think about Jesus coming. How is he described in John 1? And the word became flesh. Fascinating. So, so, so God had been doing work by speaking through these prophets for thousands of years. Now the word becomes flesh. And there's some mystery there, but it's interesting that that's what Scripture tells us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word of God incarnate. The word of God with flesh. Think about many of his miracles were done with words. When he calmed that storm, you know, crazy a storm that came out of nowhere and out of control, everybody's about to die. All he does is he says, peace, be still. And the storm was calmed. Uh, when he calls Lazarus out of the grave, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't go in there and remove the bandages and start giving him chest compressions. He just says, Lazarus, come forth. And the word of God, the word of God 
in the flesh raises the dead. You, you see, words are doing work all throughout the Bible. God's work is often, not always, often done with words. The gospel itself is a verbal proclamation of the judge proclaiming the guilty is now free. When, you think about this even in, in our day and time. When a judge pronounces a sentence, those are words doing work. And that's what the gospel is. They're words that set us free. The gospel is through Jesus' sacrifice, I, the Father, the judge, am now proclaiming that you, sinner, are righteous. Live according to this word. Live according to this news, this good news spoken. Now, the summary of all of this is what I would say oftentimes in Scripture, God speaking and God acting are one and the same thing. Now, what does the Spirit have to do with this? If the Spirit's job is to do the work of God on earth, and much of the work of God happens through God's words, it follows that there must be a very close tie between the words of God and the Spirit. And that is indeed the case. So I want to talk about, you know, two theological categories. This is, this is now the third layer of our cake here. Two theological categories that, that we use to connect the Spirit of God to the Word of God. The first is inspiration. The second is illumination. And we'll define those for you in just a minute, but that's where we're going to go. Um, before I get there, I just I want to make this point because I, I inadvertently skipped over it. Don't miss the fact that your words have power too. As creatures made in the image of God. Isn't that interesting? That language is one of the most important things that make us unique from any other creature. Now you're thinking, well, you know, other animals communicate, etc. They don't have complexity of language that we have to, to describe emotion and talk about ideas and concepts and dreams and visions and memories. They, they, that, that's, that's, they, they can't grab onto that. We can. God has given us that. I believe it's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. Now, your words do things too. Your words have power to bless. Your words have power to curse in a way, and I don't necessarily mean that in any kind of mystical, spiritual sense, but just think about that old saying you heard on the playground that you knew was false the moment you heard it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never... Completely false. We know this because we've all been wounded by words. We've also been lifted up and encouraged by words as well, have we not? Some of you are here today, for, for, for better or worse, you know, whatever your life circumstance, you're here today because of Humanly speaking, words that were spoken to you that encouraged you or gave you an idea or, or, or maybe that, that harmed you and you've been living with this. You've been harmed, you've been hurt, you've been lifted up. Most, all of us both, all of us both, all right? Words do things. Words, it's been said, words create worlds. And I would just add from God's perspective, that's literally true. Words create worlds. Now, the Spirit's work is to do the work of God. The work of God is often done through words. Let's talk about the connection between the Spirit and the Word. We'll start with inspiration. Inspiration describes the process by which the Word of God was recorded in the texts of the Bible that we have in front of us today. Uh, look at 2 Timothy 3.16. 
2 Timothy 3.16. I'm, I'm going to have you turn to just a couple more places in your Bible here. 2 Timothy 3.16. Uh, th- this is maybe um, the, the most well-known um, verse when it comes to the Spirit and God's Word working together. And I want you to see this, and I want to help um, clarify something that's confusing in the, the NASB translation, which I'm about to read to you. So 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now, I don't love the, uh, the NASB in this instance. Typically, I think it's a very good translation, but the inspired by God is maybe not the most helpful way to translate that Greek into English. And the, the Greek, I don't, we'll put the word up just so you can see it because it's a very important word, theopneustos, Theopneustos, it's a compound word. That means there's two words coming together to make the one. The first word is theos, which means God. And the next word is pneuma. You've heard this word before, hopefully, it's Acts and in our Holy Spirit series. That could mean breath. It could mean wind. It can also mean spirit. So I think a better translation, and I think the ESV goes this way with it, is to say all Scripture is the breath of God or breathed out by God or God's breath or all Scripture is God-breathed. The NIV goes that direction with it because I think the word inspired sometimes just makes us think of an inspired artist or inspiring verse you're going to put on your coffee cup or something. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying Scripture is as close to God as the breath of God, as the pneuma, as the wind, as the spirit. Spirit, you see, it's the Spirit that was at work to breathe out the Scripture through the human authors. And that's what Paul is teaching about the origin of God's Word. It's the breath. It's the Spirit of God. Um, I I wouldn't say it quite that way. I wouldn't say the Word is the Spirit. They're, They're distinct. And yet the Spirit had an integral part of breathing through the human authors is what Paul is trying to say. Now, look at 2 Peter 1, the same idea. 2 Peter 1. Now, this is Peter writing, um, not Paul. And he's going to say something to add to this conversation that's going to be helpful as it relates to the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Let's look at 2 Peter 1, verse 20. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Verse 21, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. I don't know how you get much more clearer than that. The Spirit is the one who is speaking. Men moved by the Holy Spirit. That that Greek verb for moved by is the same Greek verb used in Acts to talk about, you know, the, the ship was trying to go one direction and it was moved by the storm, moved by the wind, and it compelled them to go in a different direction. They couldn't fight against it, right? That's that same idea. The wind, in this case, clearly, the Holy Spirit, is moving through the author's so that the words of the human authors written down are the words of God. So, let me give you a definition of inspiration that'll just take these concepts and package them a little bit. Inspiration is the Holy Spirit's completed action of speaking directly through the writers of the Bible so that the words of Scripture are the words of God. That's what inspiration is. 
Um, one of the key words there is completed, right? The active inspiration of the Spirit, our canon is complete. So it's the completed activity of the Spirit. Now, the Spirit is still on the move through the Scripture. And I want to explain that. That's the next theological term we're going to talk about, illumination. So everybody got inspiration. Inspiration was when the Bible was written. It's how it was written. Now let's talk about illumination. Uh, Illumination describes the process by which we hear from God today through the texts of the Bible. Now, I want you to look for this one to Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. This is one more. I think this is the last text we're going to turn to this morning. So... You know, keep those fingers moving. Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I want to focus in on the first phrase of that verse. The word of God is living and active. Another way you could translate that is the word of God is alive. And it's on the move. Like it's doing things. It's not passive. It's active. The word of God is living and active. Now, how is it that the book is alive? Well, the, the, you know, the, the literal book is not. It's not the pages and the ink and the binding and the cover. It's not like you go to bed at night with this at your bedside table and you know, it, it starts breathing or anything like this, right? We know this. So how is it that the Bible is alive? It's not just in some metaphorical sense. It's alive through the Spirit. Because the Spirit is alive and the Spirit is speaking present tense even today, through the word of God. God's word is alive because it's the vessel, the instrument, the spirit uses to speak. It's active. It's alive through the spirit. Now, the spirit is alive today and active today through the very words of the text that the spirit authored. So it's almost as if you have an author, you know, Charles Dickens, for example, who's long since gone. If Charles Dickens suddenly showed up and and sat alongside you and read his words to you, interpreted his words to you, explained, this is what I was thinking, this is what I was meaning in a conversation with you. What if you could actually have, this is getting a little weird, Charles Dickens inside of you as you read Charles Dickens. This is the idea of illumination. You, believer in Christ, have the Holy Spirit in you, the author of the Scripture. Now, here's, here's what I want to do. I, I want us, if, if we can, Charlie, in the back, I want to put one definition on the left. I want to put in, uh, inspiration. Okay, that's fine. Do it this way. Ooh, can, we, can we get, well, let's see if we can get them. There it is. We've got inspiration on your left, and we've got illumination on your right. Look who's in the middle. The Spirit. It's the spirit, it's the connection between the two. It's the one author. The spirit who authored the text is now the spirit who is actively speaking through the text. And here's the key point of this. The words of God to us are on the move. They don't just teach us things. They're doing things in us because words do work. Words have power. And it's the Spirit speaking through the text that transforms us. Now, here's the recap 
all right? I'm going to kind of go walk back through the layers of our cake, then we're going to put that little top little thing on it, whatever that is. Uh, all right, number one, what's the work of the Spirit? To do the work of God in the world and in you. Number two, how does he accomplish that work? Primarily through words. Namely, the Word of God, which the Spirit breathed out originally and continues to speak and work through today. Inspiration, illumination. So what? So what? What does this mean for us? What's the so what of all this? This is where I'm going to start getting really practical. Here's the big idea of this message. All right, so if you've been snoozing through the theology part, you can wake up now because we're through it. Here's the big idea of the message. God's work in you takes place primarily, not only, but primarily through the Holy Spirit transforming you by the living and active word of God. God's work in you takes place primarily through the Holy Spirit transforming you by the living and active word of God. Think of it this way. God created the universe with words and now God is recreating you with words. Same God. Same spirit hovering, hovering over the waters in Genesis chapter one and dwells you as a believer in Jesus Christ. And God said, and God said, work being done through words by the spirit. Now we, we have to talk now about what, is he, what work is he doing? Like what's the end goal? Like, you know, the construction form is, is he building a, a mansion? Is he building a high rise? Is he, you know, building a retirement home? Like what, what's going on inside of us? What kind of work is the Holy Spirit doing inside of us? He is transforming you into the image of the Son. The image of Jesus Christ. He is making you more like Jesus. And I want to tell you why that matters so much, why that is so beautiful. The, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, is the Word of God with flesh on. The second person of the Trinity, the Word made flesh, the incarnation. You are becoming more and more to look like God's Word with flesh on. Men and women, you know what I'm dreaming of for our church? That we would be God's Word with flesh on for the world to see. You see, that we would be Christians, little Christs, that there would be something about us learning God's word because we take it seriously here and we teach it seriously. There'd be something about learning God's word that wouldn't just stay in our heads, but would then get lived out. That we would literally be like God's expression of his voice to the world in flesh. I'm not calling us God, but we are the body of Christ now, are we not? You see how this all starts to connect together? We've got to put flesh on the word of God for people to see. Now, he's transforming you into the image of the Son. The Son is the word made flesh. Do you realize that Jesus was human being fully alive? Do you realize that Jesus was everything you really want to be? Intimately connected to the Father, serving other people with love, pouring himself out. Like, you're called to be like Jesus, not just because, you know, that's some pastor thing that, that, that I would say, but deep down in you, your longing for fullness will be found as you become more like the one who was full. Like, your longing to be a human being fully alive will only be found as you're being formed in the image of the human being who was so fully alive that he raised from the dead. The resurrected one, you see. Uh, the words of Scripture are not passive. 
We don't study them just to kind of be smarter theologians and learn about things. And and it's not even the sense that we study them to learn what to do and then we go do it apart from God's work. The words of the scripture are being used by God to transform us as we go. The words of scripture are speech acts. They're active. They're not passive. They're doing something in you and the thing that the spirit is doing in you is to create you to be all that you were created to be the image of Jesus Christ so there's one more question we have to answer and that is how do we engage this work like what's our role in it do we just like you know sit you know zen like on the couch you know and like this is done in us what's our role in it well I want to encourage us in two ways I want to encourage us how we can engage the work of the spirit through the word of God corporately and I want to encourage us how we can engage the work of the spirit through the word of God personally We'll start with corporately. This is why we teach the Bible the way we teach the Bible here at Fellowship, expositionally. All right, we, we, we go paragraph by paragraph through God's word. That doesn't mean we'll never do a series, you know? We're doing a series right now, but even our series comes from Scripture. What you're not going to hear us do is you're, you're not going to hear us like read a verse or two on some Sunday and then just like close the Bible and then go talk about whatever we want to talk about that's unrelated to the word. That's not how we do it. Now, the reason that we have this conviction is because of the theology that I've been teaching you this morning. Here's the way I'd put it, as succinctly as I can. I'm just going to read from my notes for the sake of time. The transformative power is in the word of God, not the words of a preacher. We know that's true. Like someone right there saying, yeah, that's right. Because it's right. We know that's true. I don't care how gifted and talented the preachers are. And I'm not saying we are. I'm just saying out there in the world someday... The words, the power, the transformative is from the word of God, not a preacher. Number two, a spirit-filled teacher of God's word, not just a preacher, but any teacher of God's word, is an instrument of the spirit in the process of illumination. You see that? So the whole point of the teacher is to help you understand, and that's why it's so important that a teacher must be a believer and a teacher must be filled with the spirit himself or herself. And that's why we pray before we get up here. Believe me, one of my favorite prayers to pray before I preach is, God, you speak through this text. However you decide to do that. If that means I wake up sick this morning and you're calling someone else up that wasn't planning to teach and they're just teaching, whatever you need your body to to hear this morning, speak it, whether it's through me or someone else. Here's what this means. The authority of a sermon is not based on the authority of the teacher, but on the authority of the Spirit speaking through the text. That's the authority. So, only a sermon that is a true and faithful expression of the Spirit's purpose in a particular text of Scripture has any power or authority. So, this is why the key to good teaching, good Bible teaching, is a thorough, prayerful, and Spirit-led explanation of the text. We call that explanation, fancy word for it, exposition. It's the same idea. So that when there's been a careful explanation of a passage's original meaning, the Spirit can then speak through that meaning to show us its significance and application in our context. Okay, so we talk about the original meaning of the text. The Spirit speaks through that meaning, almost in a sense, re-speaking the word of God that he authored 2,000 or 4,000 years ago. It is the combination of discovering the original meaning of the words and listening to the Spirit's voice speak again through the words that has power. 
This like geeks me out. I love this stuff. I have no idea if you guys even like are in this or not. That's okay. All right. I just, it's important that you know why we teach the words of God, the words the way we do. It's like, we're going to, we're going to read it. We're going to say, this is what it meant to the original context. What does it mean to us? Let's let the spirit speak through the text to us today. There's this beautiful, man, I got somebody going up front. Thank you, Mandy. Um, there's this beautiful passage in Ezekiel where God calls this prophet out in this bare land and there's all these bones laying on the desert. And he sa- you know what he says? He says, prophesy over the bones. Speak the word of God over the bones. Ezekiel speaks the word of God over the bones. They come to life. It's the word of God spoken that brings to life. Man, I feel like I'm in like a different kind of cultural church, which is kind of fun today. All right. Okay. All right. Y'all are just, you're humoring me now, which is fine, but let's, let's keep moving. <laughs> okay. That's how we engage God's word corporately, and that's how we're going to do it at this church. Now let's talk about how we engage it personally. Um, here's the idea here. Understanding how the spirit and the word work together will give your Bible reading a whole new dynamic. It, it absolutely will. Because if you just think of this as a history book or you know, just as a kind of a stale religious text that doesn't have a lot of life to it, then, then it, it, you're just going to be impoverished in your reading of the Bible. It's going to be a labor. Um, let me read to you a quote from Timothy Ward, who is a, a British scholar that's done a lot of writing about the, the connection between word and spirit. When we read the Bible, we must be ready for God to act on us and in us. Did you ever come to your Bible with that expectation? When I read the Bible, I'm going to be ready for God to act on me and in me. He he continues, for as we encounter his words and as we encounter the actions he performs by means of the words, we're encountering God himself. So when you read your Bible, ask these two questions. I'm going to give you two questions to ask when you read your Bible. And there's you can ask lots of questions, but don't miss these two. First question, put them on the screen. What is the Spirit teaching me? Second question, what is the Spirit wanting to do in me through these words? So the first question is like engage your brain on that. What am I learning about God? How does this connect to other verses? What am I learning about human beings? What am I learning about God's plans? What is God teaching me? Engage your brain intellectually on this. Some of us stop there. The second question is even a little bit more than application. The second question is, how are these words active? How are these words shaping and molding, maybe, may, maybe um, um, disciplining me, maybe blessing me? How are the words active through the Spirit speaking them to actually do real work in me? That's where the transformation is going to come. Then I want you, after you think about these two questions, Talk about them in your small group. Talk about them in your, in your Bible studies. Talk about them around the kitchen table. You know, this, this would be a great family activity. Read a short passage of God's word. What are, we lear- what are we learning? And how might the Spirit be using this text to do work in us, right? What, what, what a great question to ask. Uh, and then you start to live it out. And this is where I'm gonna land the plane. You cannot live out the word of God on your own. Going back to the first two messages. It's the Spirit who not only speaks through the Word, but empowers you to embody the Word. It's the Spirit that gives life to the dry bones. So here's what we do. We depend on the Spirit as we align our lives with God's Word. 
While we do that, the Spirit is molding and shaping us into the image of Christ. And that's how transformation happens. The Spirit of God and the Word of God working together. So here's a vision for our church right before we pray. God's Word would be embodied by us, not just learned, but lived. Because there are people all around us that need life. And the only life they're going to experience is the life of God in us by the Spirit, looking more and more like Jesus every day as we're living out God's word in our community. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity to learn your word. We thank you for the opportunity to have your Spirit in us. God, these are in some ways... um, difficult concepts to grasp. And, and, and I just want to say, there's no way that I understand even a drop in the, in the bucket for how rich and full and beautiful your word is as an instrument of your spirit. And I pray for our church, God, that we would be a, a church, I think a rare church, that would be centered on the spirit and focused on your word that would not be a church that would um, pull apart your spirit from your word and just study it for intellectual stimulation, that we would not be a church that would think um, we we need to diminish the work of the word in our midst and and just be be living um, by the spirit, but that we would live by the spirit as the spirit speaks to us through the word of God, that we would keep those together and I pray for this body that they would be encouraged and come to life through your word spoken to them even this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.